A massive hello to all of my listeners and a huge welcome back to season two of The Hard Yards. A big thank you to everyone for listening in to the amazing stories from my guests in season one. And of course, a huge thank you to all my guests. Without you guys, it would have just been me and how boring that would have been. I must say sorry for the delay in season two getting underway. I've been compiling my guest list and I have to say I'm very, very excited about the year ahead. Episode one of season two is brought to you by The Tour Tea, giving you an extra yardage off the tea. And don't forget to head to australiangolfsupplies.com.au to get your packet of teas and to use the code THY for the hard yards and number 10 for your discount um, to get a discount on those teas. So let's get started as my opening guest of the season is currently on the other side of the world preparing to play a PGA Tour event in the Dominican Republic on the Caribbean Sea. Sounds unbelievable to me. Gives me great pleasure to introduce to you a two-time Aussie Open golf champ and four-time winner on the PGA Tour, the world's toughest tour, Aaron Badley. Hey, Bads, welcome to the Hard Yards and thanks for being guest number one of season two, mate. Number one, I like that. Yeah, let's hope you're number one by the end of the week, eh? That's, that's right. <laughs> so the the Dominican Republic, for, for the listeners out there, can you just give us a brief um, a brief synopsis of where you are, where is the Dominican Republic? I'm sure a lot of Aussies would have to do like I do did and look it up on Google to see where on earth that is in the world. So give us a little bit of a rundown of where you are and, and what's the event you're playing this week, mate? Yeah, so if you're looking on the map, if you look at uh, the United States uh, and Florida, if you go uh, southeast from there, down, that'll be uh, down by uh, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, stuff like that. Um, so it's about a three-hour flight. So it's further east than what you think. Um, yeah, right. So it's very warm down here, uh, very much like the Queensland, uh, um, Queensland temperature, Queensland uh, weather. And uh, it's uh, the, the the water down here is pretty. There's a real nice blue, and um, the holes uh, um, eighteen, nine, and eight are all right on the ocean. And the it's so the last hole is pretty special here. It's like a big sort of like a big sea around this huge inlet of the of the ocean. And so depending on the wind, you can either send it over the, this inlet, or you got to go around it. So. Yeah, uh, wow. it's a great, great finishing hole for the tournament. It looks, it looks, uh, it looks like a tough finishing hole, and nine looks tough as well. So it's on the other side; they sort of come together, don't they? You know, one, yeah, both green, both greens kind of back onto each other, and just looking at the course, um, you know, before we started chatting, and geez, that's like a two hundred and you know fifteen yard par three across the same sort of uh ocean um yeah. so i'm sure that depending on what that wind's wind's doing you're either getting it helping you or hurting on one of those two holes but the course itself looks quite difficult um and reasonably long is that correct or it, it just um, doesn't play that way i think it's, it's about, about a me it's a medium length the par threes okay. are strong here they're quite yep. par threes are quite long there's one that plays around like 250 yards um and then there's a couple others where just a good length, five irons. Um, and then uh, um, it's a good course. It plays the wind well here. There's a little bit of room to hit it on certain holes. And uh, the course in great shape. So, uh, um, 
just depending on the wind's supposed to blow a fair bit. So hopefully uh, we can shoot some low scores. Well, wind for Aussies tends to be a good thing, right? We, we've grown up playing in the wind. You certainly would have grown up playing in some wind down, yeah. down south in Victoria. Um, a, an interesting one that, you know, maybe people would look up Aaron Badley if they're, they're listening to this podcast and jump on and Google you just to find out a little bit more about you. And it'll say that you were born in the USA. You don't sound like an American. You sound very much like an Australian and you play under the Australian flag and, you know, you moved to Australia when you were two with your family. You consider yourself an Aussie, mate? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah no. My dad was over here working um, on uh, in, in a few different IndyCar teams, and that's why I was born over here and then um, came back to Australia, like you said, when I was two and um, grew up there and uh, very much an Aussie. And golf? I know you're a massive Geelong Cats fan. So was when yeah. did golf become, you know, was footy, you know, was footy a big part of your young life? And then, you know, when did you transition into golf and, and decide, okay, well, maybe I'll give this golfer a bit of a crack? Yeah, uh, I was very much the, uh, I mean, I definitely love my footy. Um, played a little bit in school. Um, yep. Actually never played footy for a club. Um, actually played more cricket. I was yeah, right. more of a cricket um, guy before. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then uh, what did we do? I uh, played, uh, played four seasons and uh, was a good cricketer. Um, made a couple of district teams and um, did, did there. And, and uh, it was about 13 when I started to golf. I really got the golf bug. Um, yeah. My first hit was about eight, but um, we played once or twice a year. <clears throat> and... But about 13 was when I started to get the golf bug and wanted to play all the time. So um, from that point there, I started a handicap at 23 and in, uh, in 12 months, I down to like a, an eight or a six or something. And wow. then uh, won the club champ 14 and um, <laughs> so I just loved it. So yeah. that's probably the youngest club champ. Where was that at? That was at Croydon. Yeah. Croydon. Okay. Well, yeah. I can't imagine there's been the younger club champ before that or since that yeah no i don't think so um it was just the thing i loved about golf was like i played tennis growing up as well and you always had to have someone else to hit the ball back to you know cricket you sort of needed someone to bowl at you um so you always needed somebody else where the thing i loved about golf was i could by myself whether it was yeah. one hour or six hours or eight hours and it was just all up to me to, to go practice and to be out there. I didn't, it wasn't a team practice where you had to turn up. It was just up to you to, to get out there and work away. That's, that's what I loved about golf. Still do. Yeah. I think that it's, it's a very important thing for our listeners to understand that, you know, it is, it is a really selfish kind of, in a in a way, a really selfish sport, isn't it? Because you, you are on your own a lot. It's an isolated sport too. You know, this week you're, you know, in the Dominican Republic and your family's nowhere near you. <laughs> they, yeah. they didn't come with you. So you do end up traveling a lot um, on your own and being on your own and you, your tour family becomes a bit a big part of your life as well, don't they? For sure, like it's definitely the, uh, you know, I call it a bit like a traveling circus because you got the same guys 
each week a lot of the time and um, you get to you see the guys each week and you get to know them and um, there's definitely uh, you definitely miss being I definitely miss my family being a fam I love it when they travel um, yeah but definitely there's this that side of it where the uh, it's just, when it's up to you I like that you know because I'm not relying yeah. on somebody else I'm not relying on like if I want to go spend extra work I can go do extra work you know feel like I need a break I can take a break um so it's definitely I like that aspect of the of the it's up to it's up to me I think it's really important too because I had a I was chatting to a, a dad um a weekend ago uh at uh, my son's soccer match and he was in my ear and he was he was talking to me about his son and Oh, I can't get him off the couch to go and practice. I'm just trying to get him out to go for another run, and oh, he just won't—he just won't go. And you know, he was just having this, you know, bit of a whinge to me about how he couldn't get his son motivated to get off the couch. And you know, I listened and listened and listened, and in the end, I just said to him, "Look, listen, if your son's going to be an elite footballer, you wouldn't have to tell him to go practice." Yeah, you know, and and I just think that's so true, isn't it? You know, you've yeah. obviously played at the at the, the the top end of the world in golf and and i i never got to that level um with my career but i've played in in big tournaments around the world as well and you know i i never remember my parents having to tell me to go practice i just went and i would ask my dad if he could pick me up um and if he couldn't i'd ask my mum, and if she couldn't i'd ask my brother and if he couldn't i'd be in the yard practicing yeah <laughs> yeah yeah no exactly Exactly. I mean, my parents put a, a ban on me for, on Mondays. I wasn't allowed to uh, watch golf, read golf, play golf, do anything on days. But like, you need a day off. Like, you, yeah, you're wow. going to be, we don't, I don't, we don't want you to get burnt out. So, um, weekend of golf, I'd have Mondays off and I didn't like it. Um, and the funny thing <laughs> is, sure. like, now, today, and then now, Mondays me off and I look forward to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's true though, right? You need to, and that's a challenge I'm having with some of my better players that I'm coaching now is that, you know, that's an important part of it as well, isn't it? Recognizing that you still need to be able to um, connect with your friends and, you know, have downtime for your body and all those factors. And, you know, um, we're probably not quite the same. Well, I can imagine it's not quite the same as the tennis tour, bads where you look into the box and Federer's got his entourage of physios and trainers and everyone there that travels with him. It's not a, not quite like that on the PGA tour, is it? But you guys tend to have a, a, a team that's, I guess, um, employed by the PGA that goes around. And, and so they're your trainers and those sorts of people keeping you guys in, in, in the right condition. Uh, no, there's, there's some, definitely similarities with tennis. Like you, there are some guys like we have, uh, physio trailer, fitness trailer yeah. that pretty much follows us every week that you can utilize them if you want. Um, but then we also have guys where we have our own um, massage therapists or physiotherapists that follow us around um, who work with a, a few different players. And um, okay. I've got, yeah. I've got a guy like that who, um, who I just you meet up at a tournament. They've got their own special spots to, to be at and, um, he gets to know your body well. And, and uh, so um, then if you have a coach, I mean, guys have their coaches. Some have them out most weeks. Some have them out 
and some don't have them at, at all and just go work with them when, on off weeks. So um, there are some similarities with tennis, but they're not like following you around sitting on the edge of the rope and preaching you during the tournament, like in tennis. Sure. Sure. <laughs> um, we, we'll come back to the coaching. I'm, I'm fascinated to talk to you about coaches and who you're currently um, seeing as a coach. And we, we, we chatted about this before we started this week's episode, but um, let's just go back in time a little bit again, go back. So you, you ended up winning the club champs, probably the youngest to ever have done that. And then you very, not long after that, really, you, you win an Australian Open as an amateur and you're the youngest Australian Open winner in history at that point in time as well. This is a nice little sort of, you know, ring to it. Um, talk us through that and then being able to come back a year later and defend that title, mate. Yeah, it's all like a, I mean, from that, say from 14, right, even before that, like when I, 13, I sort of started working with uh, Dale Lynch. Oh, yeah. And I told, when I first started with Lynchy, I said to him that I want to be on the US tour by the time I was 21. And okay. so he, I mean, he was amazing at just putting a plan in place. All right. If that's your goal, then this is what we need to do to get to that point. And um, I love that because I like a plan. I like goals. I like to work towards something. And so we get, so when the club champs and then I actually qualified for the Vic Open when I was 15 wow. and was the youngest to make the cut on an Australasian tour event at that time. I think someone might be younger now, but at that time it was the youngest. Um, so it was like, a, so then there was another step, another goal achieved, and then played a few more pro events before the Aussie Open, that, um, that first one that I won. So it was like a process that Lynchy had put in place and I'm sort of like ticking off these boxes as we're going to build all these things, building the confidence, understanding like that one of the goals was to finish in, a, in the top 10 of, one, of a tour event. And I did that at the Greg Norman International mm-hmm. about um, six or about eight months before the, the first Ozman. When I did that, I was like, man, I don't feel like I did anything super special to finish top 10. So it really gave me the belief that in that November 99 when I won at Royal Sydney, I turned up with the thought I could do this instead of just like, I don't know, we'll just see how we go. Like I turned up that week with the goal to win. Um, I'd worked on my game. That was the goal for the last six months of, of that year. Like it was to peak at that event and to be able to do that at that time and peak at the right week was, was pretty special. Um, so yeah. And then played with Monty the last, the last day and he was number three in the world at that time. Um, <laughs> So it was it was pretty awesome to to uh, for that week, um, and then had a bit of a struggle during 2000 coming over to America, playing in in uh, in events under sponsor invitations and playing. Um, sort of, it was that was a difficult year. First year, sort of being away from the from home and away from friends and family, and had had my, had one of my best mates Dion on the bag. Um, but it was, it was definitely a struggle. So then came home and turned pro and, and uh, reset the goals and uh, put a plan in place and ended so up winning again. Are still playing as so an amateur that first that year in the US? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So 
turn pro in November 2000. Right, just before the yeah. sort just of Aussie about, Open. about a month before the Aussie Open. Yeah. Yeah. And then backed it up and won again. Backed it up and won again, yes. Yeah, <laughs> that was one of those weeks where I'd, that was a bit of the opposite. It wasn't, didn't feel like I was playing awesome going into the week. Um, had a good session on the Wednesday afternoon just to wow. get things back in order. And <laughs> yeah, actually the day before. And uh, yeah, just, uh, I mean, that was a tough week. The greens were like a brick. Where uh, was the it? The greens again? are super fast at Kingston Heath. Kingston, Kingston Heath. Heath. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And uh, um, hit the ball pretty pretty well and, and uh, putted, putted it really well. So it was good. The. What's the leap like, Aaron? So we talked there about, you know, transitioning from, you know, even an amateur that gets now is getting a taste of pro golf. Um, let's just talk about that leap, amateur into pro, some pro events, turning pro, and then, you know, the progression from turning pro, playing some Aussie events, going to the US and playing on the nationwide tour, Eventually, you know, or after the first year on the Nationwide Tour, you, you progressed, I think, uh, onto the PGA Tour. And then, obviously, the progression from the PGA Tour is you play majors. Now, you've done all of that, which is incredible. What's it like when you go from one level to the next level? Is there, is there a noticeable – do you feel like there's a noticeable jump? Or is it – it's no real difference for you. The golf courses might get, you know, different or – the, the, the pressure or the, the media spotlight gets bigger, you know, what's it like to make those transitional changes from all the way along? Uh, I mean, it's definitely a, a jump, um, especially going from amateur to the U S um, I feel like it's a bigger jump than, than, uh, but it's also a fine, it's also a fine line as well. Yeah. Um, the beauty about it's still golf. So, a tee box, there's a fairway and there's a green. Um, and that doesn't, uh, which is great, you know, yeah. but there's right. definitely a, a jump, the depth, the depth of golfers, you know, amateur golf. There's, there's a few really good ones. Um, out here, there's a lot of really good ones. <laughs> and yeah. the depth, sheer, even like, I've, sheer, I've even noticed that. I was just going to say, is that just the sheer numbers of Australia has 23 million and the U S is, you know, over a hundred million or whatever the population is over there. Is it just yeah, 300 million? Um, 300 million there yes. <laughs> yes. But it's also, yes, but it's also, I think just the quality of golf. Like I've even noticed how much better the golfers have got in the last 15 years. Like, yeah, for sure. Um, the, the depth of, of the, of the golfers, like cut numbers have gone down. The winner's numbers have been about the same for the last like 15 years or so, but the depth, is is so much deeper like yeah um the cut numbers of like used to be around like 10 shots from the lead now they're six seven shots from the lead like yeah um, you can just see how the, the there's more so um, everybody just more does everything a little bit better more yeah. consistent um but there's definitely and then there's definitely a jump from say amateur to nationwide which is now called the corn ferry tour Yep. And then there's definitely a, a, there's definitely a, another significant jump from Corn Ferry to the main tour. Um, so it's just a matter of just getting better and, 
and, uh, and improving every aspect of your game, really. Uh, they're really good guys. They probably don't need to do much different. That's why you see guys coming out like John Rahm, Colin Morikawa, guys recently who just come out and just, just kill it straight away. Like the good guys, they're fine, especially if they get off to bat, they know they can. Um, but then the guys who are in the middle, in the middle of the pack, they, there's definitely some improvements and jumps they need to make to, to be competitive out here. I think it's interesting you talk about that um, level change and but that it's still a tee box and still a fairway and still, you know, a green and, and, and you're still trying to get that ball in the hole. The concept of the game doesn't really change no matter what level you get to. And, you know, it's a good learn for you know, for the club golfer listening into this episode as well, I think is that, you know, it's, you know, you're still trying to transition your golf ball from the tee box into a good position in the fairway so that you've got a great chance to try and hit the ball on the green and do that in as least shots as possible. And then, you know, have as few putts as possible. So um, when you look at where you're at, at the moment and right now having Happy birthday, by the way. I think you had a birthday last week and joined the 40 Club. Sorry, mate. I did, um, yeah. I did, yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> happy birthday. But as, a, you know, when you look at your where you're at right now in your game, you know, we know that golf is this incredible sport of longevity and we can be playing when Lee Westwood in the last, you know, month has, you know, proven that, right? Um and, and so where does Aaron Badley look at his game right now? And, you know, with all the stats available, do you look at those stats? Do you, you work on that stuff with your coaches and go, right, well, you know, at 65% of, you know, fairways hit, I need to be moving that number north, you know? Um, do you look at all the strokes gain numbers and those sorts of things? Are you that type of player or is your coach that type of coach? Um, you're working with Butch Harmon now, so one of the famous names of golf coaches, you know, around the world. Yeah, that was something that when I first started with Butch, we looked at some numbers and, and he's like, all right, we need, let's get, we want, want to get these, um, these numbers. If we can hit, hit more fairways, I mean, if we can hit more fairways, that means you're going to hit more greens. And then with the way I putt, that's just going to mean, to mean lower scores. Um, so he definitely looks at, at things like that um i was always a stats person growing up i would i was one of the few juniors that i knew that kept stats um i would take i'd, do, I'd keep my stats for each tournament i played and um and just because it gives you a clear indication of what you need to work on and that's something that i look at and like uh right now it's very much just trying to hit, hit more fairways and um get that wedge game in in good order um, because if you can hit those scoring clubs close, I mean, it's a lot easier to hold a, a six, eight footer than it is a, a 20 footer. So if you can get those scoring clubs in there a little bit tighter and then make those putts. So, um, I definitely look at stats and, um, and just be, be able to make if your practice very much focused, like, uh, Hey, I'm going to spend half hour, 45 minutes. Yeah. I'm going to have a, I'm going to spend half an hour to an hour on my wedge, like, most days and if i can do that then just the accumulation of that practice you're just going to be better no matter what like yeah yeah so it's uh stuff like that is 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 important do you look at 
you look at the fairways component, which you just mentioned there, you know, if you hit more fairways, if Aaron Badley hits, let's say Aaron Badley's number went to 80% this week, you know, it would suggest that you're going to have a good week because you're going to be a in the short grass where you can control the ball and, and you're probably going to be closer to the green and, you know, golf's a game of proximity to the hole, right. And it's a really interesting time in golf. I think watching on, um, in that, you know, I think that's kind of how Bryson approaches the game now, right? He's, he's trying to move the golf ball so far off the tee and get it as close to the green as possible in one hit because sheer numbers suggest that the closer you are, the, the less shots you're going to have. Yeah. I mean, he sort of looked at it. I, I know like um, one of the guys, I've, I've, um, a physical um, guy I'm working with, he sort of showed us some numbers and, like per like five yards or 10 yards of added distance. Like it's the easiest way to, to gain strokes on the field. Um, so Bryson has obviously figured that out. And if you can, like he can do no other skill, like he cannot improve your skill level in at any other part of the game. But if you hit it further, you can gain strokes. Yeah. So like you can not put, you can not put any better. You can not chip any better. You cannot get more, your iron shots any better. And you still gain more strokes just because you hit it further. Um, so, which is sort of, a, it's a very, like, it's, a, it's very interesting, you know, and it's unbelievable what Bryson's been able to do, like to, to go from just a, a middle, middle long hitter. I mean, he was never short, but he wasn't, it was never long. And then to be able to like eyeballs, like 350, like 360, like it's unbelievable. <laughs> it is unbelievable, isn't it? It's unbelievable. Yeah. Like it's just it's a credit to him. So like yeah. I'm actually good actually I'm actually good buddies with him. And uh it's just it's incredible just to see to do that, like it's amazing. What does that do for you? You know, you're saying you're good buddies with him and you're watching what he's doing and how far he's hitting it. Does it does it make Aaron Badley think, Okay, well how do I gain more? How do I get more yardage? And and you said you're working with your trainer and so I guess that, you know, underlying there's there's part of you that's working towards being able to deliver more speed yeah no for sure like I, i've uh i've actually lost a little bit of speed i had a little bit of a back issue a couple of years ago and so my speed was a little bit lower than what it used to be so i'm definitely just trying to get at least get back to where i was at and then um then you know with what bryson has done but then also i got um i'm really one of my real good friends is teddy scott who is uh bubba's um, caddy and uh he's uh he's 47 48 and um he's he is last couple of years he's increased his ball speed by like by like 20, no not probably not quite 20 maybe like 17 he went from like what he's up around in the 190s now and he was at he was at like 175 yeah. like so it's pretty impressive like to see him to see him that as well like um, yeah. he loves the game, um, and can play, play pretty good, but to see him do that as well, like then, you know, it's possible to be able to, to get speed. Yeah. Um, um, so, um, yeah, so definitely if you can move that ball a little bit further down the fairway, if you can hit a, a nine iron instead of a seven iron, like, I mean, yeah. you're going to hit that nine iron closer than the seven iron yep. more often than not. No doubt. Proximity to the hole and yeah. lower scores. Yeah. Interesting. A couple of things that you, you, you touched on there, which I want to just jump into a little bit. Um, one of them was, you know, 
talking about Kingston Heath and your Australian Open win and playing on the sand belt uh, in Australia, which is still, you know, some of the best golf courses in the world, it's very much a different game to that game, isn't it? You know, we were brought up, you know, the premium was to keep it out of the tea tree and keep it on the short fairway grass yeah. and create great angles into those gr- amazing green complexes so that you could get into flag locations. And, you know, now that's kind of getting blown out of the water. You, you, you know, you'd kind of like to see Bryson almost come down and, and play them to see what he would do. Yeah, no, it's definitely a different, like I see growing up, like I had a, a friend of mine, Mark, who was a cat, he was not a cat, he was a, he played down at Huntingdale and I was a member of Huntingdale. Um, and, uh, and he said like, he, he said to me, like, Is it, you're lucky that you grew up on like out of Croydon where you could blaze away and hit it in a fairway yeah. and you were okay. Where he grew up at Huntingdale back when like the tea tree was like right <laughs> on the edge of the fairways and, so he would just like he would just hit these little bunt drivers and never really learned to smash it. Where like I grew up at Croydon, where you could just smash it and hit as hard as you want, and if you hit it over on twelve fairway, that's alright. You just hit it back in. Like so, um, even back then, even back then, he. I mean, this guy Mark made a really good point. I was like, man, I never thought of that. Um, yeah. But no, absolutely, it's definitely the, the game is definitely different. Even like, but even like that, you're talking about how the Samba courses and. I mean, they're such a, they're unbelievable. Like, and you have whole locations where you've got a pitching wedge in your hands and you got to hit, you have to hit it to 30 feet because you can't go at the pin because the greens are too firm. The way the green is, if you go at the pin, it's going to take one bounce off the back. It takes very much, very disciplined golf, you know, where over here in the States is is not, we don't play too many courses where, where you have to do that. Yeah. On the on the main tour, I mean, there's definitely majors and stuff like that where it can be like that. But if you've got a pitching wedge in your hands over here, you're looking at the, that pin and you're really not taking your eyes off it. Yeah, it's very different, isn't it? Yeah. While we talk about the sand belt, you played a very. It's pretty rare in our game where you get to play as part of a team. You spoke earlier about how you loved the individuality of golf and, you know, that it was on you and it was all on you um, to, to practice and become elite. Uh, but you got to be a part of a President's Cup team playing on home soil. What was that like, mate? Yeah, I mean, like you said, like the, I love the, the, the individual, the, the um, part of golf. To be part of a team like that, um, especially being in Australia, that was amazing. Like, I actually think one of my favorite things of the whole week is was actually cheering the other guys on. I remember yeah. Ogilvy, remember Jeff Ogilvy, he had like a like a three or four footer on eighteen to win the match. And I mean, when, when he made that, I was just just so pumped. Like, I was just <laughs> like, you just get so excited. Like, like stuff that you wouldn't you know normally do because you're trying to beat him. You know, yeah, yeah, but like those weeks there like i mean i teamed up with jason day for the the four team matches and um it was awesome i mean it was just so great to be part of a team um because we just don't get that in our game so to no. be on that president's cup team and with the uh with the guys and uh, awesome 
it's kind of it kind of just when you're talking about Jeff there reminded me of you know your your, your a your pennant days you know that every club has yeah. a pennant team and being yeah, a part of pennant. that you know and striving to get in that and how good was it when we were you know back as amateurs playing pennant golf for your club but then obviously where we met actually we met um playing interstate golf um here in mm-hmm. in brisbane um at, at pacific golf club you came up as part pacific, of the yeah. team yeah and um gosh i don't know, even know how long ago that was and 98 98 was it there you go yeah you've got a better memory than i do um that was my first know, first that, to him yeah, right. yeah i loved right. it that was so much fun because uh, awesome. uh yeah yeah. Same thing, right? You're just cheering your Same teammates thing. on, and yeah, yeah, as you say, we just don't not, get that. Yeah, like yeah, I remember my last year of pennant as well. Like we, uh, um, I played for Croydon, went back to Croydon for my last year, and we ended up winning the the flag that year. And uh, I remember um, uh, my buddy Robbie had about a four footer on the last to, to win the whole thing, and and. Uh, you hit this putt and it looked like it was in. So you start cheering and then it looked like it was missing. And you're like, Oh no. And then it lips <laughs> in and you just start cheering again. There's like a whole range of emotion in, in the about three quarters of a second. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible, isn't it? You know, and that's, um, uh, it is, it is unique, isn't it? And, and I think these days, these days is interesting on tour. I reckon watching because I reckon you see a lot more, of the guys whose winnings mates hanging around the 18th and around the golf course at the end of the round than what we used to see, you know, it feels like that to me, you know, so yeah, the boys, you know, if one of their, one of their posse is winning, you know, the boys hang around and, you know, and watch. Yeah, no, I agree with that for sure. Um, hundred percent. I definitely feel that there's definitely more, um, what seems like more camaraderie a little bit more now than what was coming out. Um, whether that has to do with the college, um, guys with being yeah. college and playing together, or if it's just, uh, I don't know what it is. Like whether it's guys coming out here younger, um, and just like continuing on from, from junior golf, from amateur golf, you know? Um, but it's, it's, it's definitely very cool to see that, you know, like, uh, especially even like, you get up to that high level with like Justin Thomas and Jordan, mm. Ricky, those guys are all like really yeah. good mates and um, just stuff like that. It's pretty cool. Like, you know, like it's not a, um, you know, Webb Simpson's one of my good buddies and, and uh, fortunately I've been just to be there on a Sunday afternoon when he's won a couple of times um, because it's not often you get to be there because often you're either, either you might not be at that tournament or yeah. you've had to take off like that day to head to the next event and you just not, yep. you don't get that chance. So, um, just to be there and it means a lot to the, you know, when you're, when you win and having other players there, it's pretty special. Other players and, and family too. And we'll talk about your family in a sec. Um, but you're right. The winning part of professional golf, uh, you know, if, if, your career, and I hope this doesn't happen, but you know, you've had eight wins in big tournaments, four in the U S and four on home soil here. Uh, and some people play their whole career bads without winning, right? Like a lot of people yeah. play their whole career without winning. 
Yeah. Like it's fun. It's phenomenal, isn't it? When you think about that and to look at the career with eight wins, um, it's pretty cool, but I'm guessing you're not necessarily settled at eight. You know, you still, you still have the passion. You st- it still fires, you know, that passion is still firing deep inside. Like we we're talking about, um, Butch Harmon, who's in his seventies now, and he's still got a passion that's burning to help out guys like yourself on tour. You know, how does it, how is it for you? And, you know, I know you've got this beautiful wife with six amazing kids. Um, and I know what they mean to you. And we've been chatting for, you know, 20 minutes before we started this chat about our kids and, you know, we've watched each other's kids from afar grow up. Um, how does, how does it all play out for you, mate? Like you still got the fire and you know, how does it work out now that you've got six amazing kids to, be an be a inspirational dad and, and just be a dad for while you're trying to play on tour? It's definitely a, a tough balance because uh, as the kids get older and growing up, like I definitely don't like being away. Um, yeah. It's harder to be away. It um, is so much harder. And then on the, on the flip side, I still absolutely love the game and there's no, I love to walk and practice and, trying to get better and trying to um, try and keep winning. Um, like, uh, obviously, like, as I turned 40 last week, I was sort of thinking about it and I'm like, you know, my, my goal is to have one of the most successful 40-plus 40, 40 careers on the, on the tour, you know. How good's that? Um, can't, that, is that you know, mean, can't does that mean you, you've got to sit down? Does that mean you've got to sit down, Bads, and do what you said earlier? you know, which you you did with Dale Lynch, you know, you've got to put those goals out in front of yourself and, and okay, that's, you know, how do you go about becoming that person? How do you go about becoming that the most, one of the most successful 40 to 50s players on the PGA Tour history? You know, how, how have you mapped that out? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, like I said, I only started thinking about it last week, to be honest. I was just like, so the turn forward is like, wow. And now, so I, I think on my birthday, like I Googled like the most successful 40 career, 40 <laughs> guys in their forties. And I started, saw, saw VJ has like, oh, yeah. VJ has got like 34 wins. So we'll see if I can get 35. <laughs> um, but he's got, he's got yeah some crazy number. And then uh, Stricker, Stricker was obviously, I think Jack was up there. Um, yep just like yeah so definitely it's like setting these goals what do i need to do to play great to achieve these goals right it's a bit like what it was before like if i can hit fairways which also means yeah your misses aren't as bad they're just in the just in the rough hit more hit hit your short irons close and hold some putts like if i can do that i feel like pretty successful um so but the drive is still there like i love the game i honestly think my best goals in front of me um it's awesome and 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 it's hard to be away from the fam. Um, the one thing I do love that like all my kids enjoy golf. Um, they're all very quite sporty. Um, the girls do volleyball and soccer, and one does dance. And the boys do. I mean, they they love they love it, but they also do f- baseball, f- um, flag American football. Uh, so there's a few things that they and to be able to go out and like all. At home, I might go practice and then come home and take the boys out for nine holes. 
um, stuff like that to be able to like still be able to, I can still get my, get practice and work done even when I take them out. And um, it's pretty special to be able to do stuff like that with them. Like I can see how if they choose to just keep, just keep playing whatever I want to go to, that's up to them. But um, sure. just to, this to go out and, and play golf with them to, together with them is, is pretty awesome. Is that, would you say that that's been, what's been the most challenging part of your, what you turned pro in 2000, late 2000? Yeah. Yeah. So we're 2021 now. So it's 20, this is, you know, 21 years in. Um, what's been the most challenging part of it? Obviously early on leaving home, going to the US, um, I imagine was difficult, um, you know, having a family and, and building a family and being away from them, um, being away from your friends and that back home, um, injury, you spoke about a back injury that, you know, um, in the last couple of years, um, form, you know, form challenges. And, and I know that throughout your career, Bads, you've, you know, you've had a number of coaches. Dale was a long time coach and then you've spent some time with the stack and tilt guys and, um, and now Butch Harmon, and I'm not sure if there's been other guys in between, but you know, what's, what's the most been the most challenging thing for you and how do you deal with that and overcome those challenges? I, I, I can't say you can put your yeah, throw on like one thing because different parts of your life, different seasons of your life bring different challenges. Um, you know, that, that first one, that being away from home, I didn't really realize how difficult that was going to be. Um, and then, um, you know, and then you, and then you have some form, form challenges where you, um, you know, things are good and then things start going in the wrong direction. And, um, I guess if I look back, like, yeah, I've had a bunch of different coaches and the one thing I guess that I didn't understand, and maybe even some of my coaches didn't understand was how to manage and how to keep a game like you don't like if I was going to give advice to say my boys, um, yep. as they get older, um, I would say like that you like, especially if they get good, let's say they get good, right. As a youngster and they're not, and they're good. You're like, this is like your swing and you just got to manage your swing and get better at that. That's it. Like that you have a couple of keys, that you need to work on and you just keep working on those same things all the time and you don't need to swap and change and do all these different things. You just got to get better at, at that. And I feel like, um, a lot of guys, a number of the coaches didn't understand that. Um, it was always like, keep building, keep building, keep building as opposed to, um, okay, here's just, okay. Let's do you have three or four drills. We're going to do those drills, maintain, maintain your setup. And then you pretty much will be good to go. Um, that's pretty much what, a, what uh, like Butch will pick out just a couple of things. And he's like, you just keep working on those things. Just do those couple of things and just keep working. Um, even like, uh, I work with Brad Malone for a little bit who works with yeah. who's Adams, Adam Scott's brother-in-law coach. And, he sort of said the same thing. Like you just got to stay within these parameters and then you're going to, as long as you're within those parameters, you can play good golf. It doesn't need to be perfect, but as long as it's within them, you can play good. And so sort of start understanding like, Hey, I just got to do these few things and get better at those things. And I should be, 
I'll be good to go. Um, so I'd say that's probably one thing I've learned over the years. If I could tell my sons or talk to a younger part, younger self of me, like I'd be like, Hey, just do these couple of things and you're going to be in the ballpark every time might not be perfect, but you can still play good golf. Um, so it's, but then going on from there, like just the challenges of being, being, being away from the family, um, you know, they, they traveled a lot for a while and as they get older, just with school and their commitments at home, like I don't want yeah. them to miss out on dance or, or sport at home. You know, I want them to have their opportunity to do stuff like that. Um, so that's definitely been a challenge, but um, I definitely enjoy my time at home. That's for sure. Mm. You, you, you've hit the nail on the head there a few times. And I think, you know, talking about Adam Scott, I played with Adam last year before he went back to the U S and he spent some time back home here in Queensland. And, and, um, I, he, he asked me up for a hit at Noosa Springs and, you know, it was just the two of us having a game of golf, two buddies and, and, um, you know, chewing the fat about family and talking about his growing family now and, and, um, and mine. And, when we talked about golf, he said the same sort of thing, Bads. And he said, you know, I asked him a question, well, what do you do if it's kind of not working for you and, and you tee it up in a PGA Tour event and you get three holes in and you're not feeling it? And he said, well, you've just got to have your checklist. <laughs> yeah, you've just got to have those couple of key performance indicators that, you know, you know you've got to do to hit good golf shots. And, and as long as you're ticking those boxes rather than reinventing the wheel. And I think that's a big thing for our listeners out there is, is, is don't, you know, and that's what you're saying that you, you, the advice you'd give to your sons is don't try and reinvent the wheel all the time. Don't try and create new golf swings all the time when it's the one you've got, isn't quite performing the way you'd like. Cause it's such a, it's such a game of small margins too, isn't it? You know, yeah. you, you're never it's, that far away. Yeah. And it's just getting better at that. Like it's mm. a bit like, say like a, if you think about like a, a tennis serve or something, like you're not going to, if you're not, you know, if you sh- a couple of double faults, you're not going to try and change your, uh, your, <laughs> your service technique. You, you might <laughs> just try and you might, you might just try and get better at the slice serve or get better at the down the line serve or, the heavier top spin serve or something like that. Like you're not going to, you're just going to work at it. So and maybe I can draw it well, but I can't fade it too great. So I'm just going to practice fading it a bit better. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. On, on that subject of, um, well, on that subject of working at something, I guess. And if I surveyed, you know, some members at my club or members at, your whole old home club or, you know, and, and we ask people what, you know, when you, when you think about Aaron Badley, what do you think about as a golfer? You know, everyone's probably going to tell the same answer and talk about your putting, right? Um, I want to ask about that in a couple of ways. What, what's it been like over the years to be renowned as, you know, a great putter, and you feel like you're a great putter and I've watched you in the flesh um, and you are, but what's it been like over the years to feel like, have you ever felt pressure from that tag? Have you ever felt disappointment that nobody talks about, you know, or not many, not as many people talk about your, your ball striking It's kind of Adam Scott's the opposite. You know, they talk about Adam Scott and his, 
amazing swing and all the rest of it. But is you know everyone talks about how bad his putting is. Well, his putting numbers in the last couple of years have actually been really good. So does it frustrate you? Um, I mean, I would say no. I mean, there's been occasional times where I felt like a little extra pressure, but not really. It's just sort of what I do, you know. Yeah. Like, um, I just, uh, just like I was talking about like my full swing, I checkpoints with putting, and um, I know what I do when I putt well, so I just do that and expect to putt well, you know. So, yeah, it's awesome. Um, I've actually had more people in the last few months come up to me and ask me about my putting and what I do than I have in a while. So guys are asking like, hey, what do you do? Like, how do you, what do you think about? Like stuff like that. Mm. Um, and it's funny cause I'm sort of the opposite of people because a lot of people, I mean, aim points getting popular and yeah. green books and all this stuff. And I'm like the dead opposite of that. There's times where I'll hit the putt and I don't even know which way it's going to break. Like, I just don't even read the greens. Like I just sort of just, I just look at the green and, and let the brain sort of figure it out and, uh, and putt. Like, um, I do a lot of practice, not even, uh, not even aim. Like I don't even aim the putter. Like I just do a lot of practice doing that because the brain knows how to aim it and, uh, just sort of freeze it up. I was going to say how much practice and time, for one of the best putters in the world, how much time and effort have you put into it over the years? Countless hours. Like, yeah. Or is it, is it a natural skill or is it something that you've, you know, seriously worked hard at to become as good as you are with it? I worked hard because I wasn't a good putter when I was young. Like, okay. I would tell them, I'm telling, telling my mum back in the day, like, like man if i could just putt i think i'd be all right you know <laughs> and uh, so like i was born a great putter so that gives uh hope to uh to uh to everybody <laughs> anybody who, who who feel like they're not very good putters if, as long as you can consistently aim the putter square where you want to do you want to go and have a consistent setup if you do those two things you can you can putt well yeah. Um, I do a lot of putting to, um, with drills to full routine. That was one thing Lynchy talked about was when you practice doing full routine on every putt. So if I put these out, I got a whole 20 in a row or 50 in a row, whatever it is. And it's a full routine on every one. So then you ingraining this routine over and over and over and over. So when you get to a pressure putt, there's been, I don't know how many times I've said to myself, this is just like the drill. This is easy. I've yeah. done this so many times. This is literally just like the, just, this is just like the drill. Tap it in. And <laughs> it gives you a sense of confidence and relaxes you. You'd be like, oh, yeah, I've done this. And you just go up and tap it in. Yeah, it's so true, though, isn't it? You know, when you, when you repeat and repeat and repeat and, you know, I, I've only won once on the Aussie tour in a much smaller event than the ones you won. But, you know, I remember looking at that putt on the 18th green thinking, you've done this so many times at the end of your day when you wanted to make a hundred in a row before you went home, you know, you've just done this and you talk yourself in the, oh, well, yeah, hundred percent. it's just another one, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> you know? so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't matter what level it's at. Like, 
like whether it's to win a club comp, whether it's to win a pro event, like there's there's still that that pressure and the the want the need to win, you know, and to, and to be able to go back and just rest that you've done done the work. Like and it doesn't doesn't need to be much. Like it doesn't need to get for amateurs. Like it's not like you got to be out there for six hours on the putting green. Be like, hey, I'm gonna put out four tees and I gotta go around the hole three times before I leave. Like make twelve putts in a row. Like doesn't need to be some astronomical size number. It's just about no, getting not. to the 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 eleventh putt, and you're like, man, I gotta make this because I'm gotta start again. Yeah, you know. And then you sit there like, all right, let's knock it in, and you make it, and you get to the last one. And you're like, I'm getting hungry. I want, I want to go home. You're like, well, I better make this putt. You know, so you, you put that little bit extra pressure on yourself to, to, to make it. Yeah, and then that, and then it seems easier when you get into the moment. Yeah, when you when you've done that sort of work, you know that's for sure. Yeah, mate, um, I won't keep you for too much longer. You got things to do today you got a pro-am coming up this afternoon and and um you need to go and get yourself primed for a for a an, an awesome week uh can you talk about what it was like leading a u.s open and i want to talk about the other majors and stuff as well just quickly but what was it like leading a u.s open and then you know obviously having the final day that you had and and the aftermath of that yeah, I mean, I was definitely quite comfortable with where I was at. Um, I was playing well. Um, um, Rochelle and I, obviously, I was played with Tiger in the last group there, and we talked about, me and Rochelle talked about, like, that he might try and, like, play some mind games or do something um, to intimidate you. Um, the, I remember walking from the this putting green to the first tee and he walked right in behind me and there was like a ton of people. So I was sort of expecting something like, like that or who knows. And, uh, I mean, it's weird. Like, like if I look at the first six holes of that, that event, like I, the first hole made a, a triple out of nowhere. And, um, I mean, I, I, uh, I really should have had a bogey, but even with that triple, Next hole, I had a thin footer for birdie. Then on the, the fourth hole, I hit a par five and two. And then I hit it to about 12 feet on the next two holes after that. And mm. I'm three putted the par five and missed all the other par, all the other birdie putts. <laughs> so if I had, if I, so if I look at it, man, if I'd made, if I'd two putted the par five and just made yep. one, made, and made one of those, those 15 or 12 foot, two 12 footers actually would have been in the lead again and yeah. you got momentum you got momentum's all on your side then at that point yeah things are back in your direction confidence and you know so it's a again it's such a fine line like yeah um you don't feel like you're trying to press you know and so if i yeah so like looking back like it was just if i had a couple of made a couple of those parts i would have been I would have been good. Um, unfortunately, I didn't, and it just didn't end up the way I wanted to. But uh, definitely something I'll like when that happens again. When I get in that position again, I, I definitely will draw on from that experience, even though it was it was back in 07. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's what you've got to do, isn't it? You know, you, you live and learn and, you know, a lot of the times we fail and it's whether it's, whether it's in sport or whether, you know, for some of the people that, um, you know, listen to the podcast, they're business people and whether it's through business where they make a decision that, you know, doesn't quite work out and they learn from that, you know, and grow. That's what life's about, isn't it? You know? Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, we, we learn from our mistakes and, um, and we also learn from our things too. Like I think it's yeah. important to, it's not just, ah, oh, I made a mistake. I've got to learn from that. It's like, well, I did things good. I got to learn from that too. What did I do? That was good. You know, like if it's sport, like what were the, what, what my keys, what was I thinking? Absolutely. If it's in business, you think, well, what checklist did I go through to make that, that decision that, 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 that worked out? Like, you know, what made that, that one different compared to another one? Like, so look, I mean, there's so many, it's easy to learn off your bad stuff, but you also got to learn off your good stuff too. I, I'm a massive believer in that um, bads in, and particularly with golf. And that's a big thing in my coaching is, you know, when you hit the ball, great, don't just admire a great shot and give it no thought. You know, I believe most golfers on the, on the planet, and it's a big statement here. Most golfers on the planet anal, analyze the bad, never analyze the good, you know? Yeah. And, and I think it's got to be the other way around, you know, and that's yeah. certainly all my students, I'm trying to get them to analyze good shots. What did I do? So that then you learn what you did well to create the good shot and, and, and just try and repeat that over and over. Like you talked about before. Yeah. I mean, it's exactly what, what Adam said. There's that checklist of good stuff. So then, you know, when it goes off and looking like, Oh, that's so bad. What, what went wrong? Be like, what did I do so well? And you go back to be like, so I, these are my checkpoints, A, yep. B and C. Yep. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Uh, just on the other majors or maybe just a question, what's your favorite major? Like of all the majors, which one do you, would you, you know, if you had a chance to play one of them this year, um, you know, and I know you're not in the master's field at this point in time, but if you had a chance to play one, what one would you choose? I mean, I'd probably choose Augusta. Um, it's just a special place. Um, the the history there, the golf course, has, obviously there's some some similarities obviously to Royal Melbourne, the, being a McKenzie designer, and there's just something special about that place. Um, so if I had to pick one, it'd be it'd be Augusta. I remember, and you might not remember this, but I remember um, being there in 2011, um, and you actually invited me along to the fellowship night on tour um, as we're both Christians yeah. and we've, you know, that, I think that's, you know, key to our friendship over the years has been, we've had this common faith in God and um, you, you invited yeah. me along to that, you know, which was cool. But I remember standing to you after the second round on the Friday and you might not remember this, but you, you played really nicely and you played one group apart from Adam. And so I got kind of got this really cool day of, being able to follow the two of you around and, you know, you played well and Adam was playing well and you shot, I think a couple under on the Friday to make the cut. And we were standing up on the putting green and chatting and there was some roars coming from the course and they were tiger roars, you know, and for anyone who hasn't been to Augusta, you've got to go for one. And, you know, I don't know whether tiger will ever play there again um, with what's been happening with him, but you know, those roars and I'm not, I'm not, 
I didn't go there to watch Tiger. I went there and I wanted to see and experience the place, but I spent most of my time watching the Aussies play. Um, but I said to you, I remember saying to you on the putting green, mate, I'm really sorry. I got to go because Tiger's making birdies on the back nine. Of the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, and I paused at 18 as Rory and JD, JD shot 64 that day. Um, they came up 18. So I paused and watched JD come up the last hit it to a foot and said hi to him as he came out of the, out of the 18th green. And, and then I went and watched Tiger and, you know, it is just, he, he birdied the last. I remember him birding the last from the right tree line. It was one of those wicked shots where he contorts his whole body and got the thing to somehow fade and got on the green and hold like a 20 footer with a big fit tiger fist pump on. on yeah, yeah. And it's something else that roar, isn't it? At Augusta. And as players, you, you must know that it's a, that's tiger. Yeah. It's funny. I, one of my stories, I remember in 2012 when bubble won, um, I was probably on, they were on two and Louis Oosthuizen and I was probably, I was probably on like 13 or something like that. And you can hear this, this like this low roar start. This is when Louis Oosthuizen made the, the albatross on two. And so he hits this, hits it on the green and it starts feeding and you could hear the roar sort of building. And then when it went in, I, li- I, I remember saying to, to my caddy, Ant-Man, I was like, I think someone just made a two on two. Like, you could just <laughs> tell by the roar that it wasn't just a standard like, eagle on 15. It was like this long, real buildup. It was pretty, that was, that was pretty cool. That was. It's unreal, mate. Just even you telling that story, I have goosebumps down my entire body. And I think that's the unique thing about Augusta, right? Because even as a kid, you would remember getting up in the mornings here in Australia, early in the morning and watching the final rounds, hoping and praying Greg would get it done. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And, and I think we all, we all know the golf course. Like before you even arrived at Augusta for the first time, Bad's, you know, you kind of knew the course. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I even had a, a good friend of mine, Wise, call me up uh, before I left to come over, and he's like, "All right, bads, on number twelve, when the pins on the right, <laughs> hit, hit it over the bunker, and then when the pins on the back right on thirteen, it doesn't make to the water like you think." Uh, it's, it's like, so, but yeah, amazing, I think that's it. Yeah, I think because that's the thing. I, you're at that course every year people you get to know it even just watching it you get to know it and you know so that's what i think makes it so special another another um thing from that day and you wouldn't know this but uh dale lynch uh was there that year uh 2011 with you yeah pretty sure yeah um and he was uh, yeah anyway i happened to just be walking through the Start of the back nine, and we ended up behind the twelfth tee, standing in the masses of people there. Um, you know, watching you guys on that tee play into twelve on Friday, and I was right next to Dale, and I was kind of looking at it, thinking, you know, why do the guys take so much time over their club selection on this hole? Like it's not very long, you know. I was yeah. looking at it, trying to figure it out. And I looked just to the left and, you know, it's only 40, 50 yards over to the 11th green. And 
the flag on the 11th, I think was, let's hypothetically, let's say it was going right to left. And then I looked up at the green on 12 when it was going left to right. And then I bent down and picked up some grass next to Dale and I threw it up in the air and it puffed straight back in my face. So we had three completely different wind directions that you were looking at. And, and I just turned it down and said, oh, now I understand, you know, and that's yeah, kind of what it's like, the, right? Yeah. Cause like that whole there, like the, cause if it, to the right of 12 green is the shoot of the 13th fairway. Yeah. And so the wind comes down 13 fairway and because the trees there are so tall, the wind like will bounce off those trees. And yeah. so it should be like helping off the right up by the green it's actually coming back into you because it's bouncing off the trees and coming back in like <laughs> hey like i'll never forget the first time i ever played the uh, first practice round in 2000 i was just I had, the wind was i can't remember the wind was wherever and i was supposed to hit i hit this like smooth seven iron and the the ball got like halfway over the water and literally looked like someone attached a piece of string to the ball and yanked it because it literally just went like 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 a 90 degree angle straight up to the left and dropped in the middle of the water and i was like you're kidding like no wonder this thing this thing is so difficult like so it's just like you get like i remember ken venturi saying like you want to hit it while the wind's up not while the wind's down because that way you at least you, you know where the wind's at if, if the wind's down when you hit it and you could get that gust off the trees and now you got now you're short. Isn't that amazing? Like that's, you know, you're talking about one of the famous commentators talking about that hole and giving advice about when to play the shot. And you would have picked that up somewhere along your golfing journey, watching the masters or being there and asking players and, you know, playing practice rounds with seasoned guys who've been there before and, you know, asking them questions and, it's uh yeah i mean it's a it's an amazing it is an amazing place isn't it and i think the fact that you go back to the same venue every year is what makes it so unique as one of the majors and probably yeah. the major that everyone you know everyone wants to play in limited field and 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 obviously get that green jacket and and um mate that would be something else that's for sure i remember yeah. in the, in the practice round on the wednesday you were playing with bubba and this one you definitely wouldn't remember, I don't think, but you're on 15 and you hit a few pitch shots into 15 in case you ever had to lay it up and you played a few wedge shots in and then you both went over the, over the water to the green and the pin was on the left-hand side of the green on the practice day and um, Bubba had gone over onto the green and come down like as if his ball had rolled back down the embankment short of the green but over the water and it didn't go back in the water. And so he dropped the ball there and he, he pitched this thing up and I thought, oh, that's way short of the flag, Bubba. And I watched this thing just gather speed and go all the way over to like right next to the hole and, and nearly went in. And you wandered down and played the same pitch shot and you pitched it back up and Bubba's by this stage up on the green and yours land in the same spot. And it just blew my mind how fast it was across down to the hole and yours went down and went straight in the cup. And, you know, even on the practice day, everyone cheered and, yeah. and, um, and, and Bubba picked the ball out of the hole as you were walking up onto the, the water. <laughs> you remember it. <laughs> and he, I think he must've yelled at hey, Bads. And then he went to throw the ball and just hooked it straight over your head, straight in the middle of the water. And yeah. oh, man, it was, uh, it's cool that you remember that. That's a long time ago, 2011, but yeah, that was pretty funny. Uh, 
so many, so many. Yeah, so yeah Bubba's one of my good mates. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. That following year, I mean, I was there, again, like we talked about, like, yeah, for your friend, like, yeah. when they win, like, to be there for Bubba's win when he won in 2012 when he hit that shot out of the trees was was pretty special, you know. Um, he's one of my good friends. He's probably one of the most misunderstood guys on tour. So um, he's such a good guy. Um, so uh, Is the, um, to be there for that was pretty special. Mate, touching on that, so does that happen just through the media? Like, you know, the portrayal of a person through the media? Um, I, I, well, here's the thing. He's, he's misunderstood because he's a and an extrovert so he's both like if he's comfortable in a situation he's an extrovert he's out there he's got a big personality he's funny but if he's uncomfortable with a situation um he's an introvert he'll just he'll be quiet he won't say much and so that can get construed as as uh, being arrogant like because yeah, like sure. they see this outlandish, this big personality, and now he's like not saying anything, and he's quiet, and he's just like keeping to himself. It's like it's not because he's arrogant or anything like that. It's just because he's uncomfortable with, with the situation, yeah, and so it just gets misunderstood. Like he's just got such a huge heart. Like um, like he just loves. I mean, good friend over the years, encouraging, and um, you know, President's Cup one that year like i missed short i hit a bat no i hit a bad tee shot to halve the match on 18 and guys to come over to me a hug like and he's on the the team like yeah yeah, so like just stuff like that like he's just a really good guy um who loves people he he uh, loves to he does so much off the courts it's crazy and uh people just don't see that um so is it like yeah? He's just a little bit misunderstood that way. Yeah, yeah. but no, he's awesome. Now, mate, last couple of things here: the two big, 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 big parts of your life. So we touched on Rochelle and you know the amazing you know wife that she is, and mum to your kids, and you know where would you be without her in your life? And you know, as we also touched on your faith, and can you just share maybe about you know what? what it means to be married to a woman like Rochelle and, and, um, and, you know, then you, your mutual faith in, in God and what that's meant to yeah. you guys over the years and particularly, you know, for you in your career in the tough times and challenging times. And I know, you know, uh, your first baby was a tough time for, for her too. Yeah, no. Um, yeah. I mean, Rochelle, like, Actually, her Rochelle, the meaning of her name is uh, a rock. And that's exactly what she is. Like she's just a uh, she's just a little rock. Like um, she doesn't really get moved around. Like she's such a steady woman, woman of God, um, amazing wife, um, unbelievable mom to the kids. Uh, I mean, she got six kids by herself. Like when I'm on the road and you know, like we don't have a nanny. She doesn't want a nanny. Um, she's, we're doing some homeschool right now. So she's homeschooling the kids. Um, I mean, I, I like, I love her more now than what I did when we first got married. Um, yeah, awesome. 15, 16 years ago, almost. 
um, she's unbelievable. Um, so, and then, um, yeah, she's just incredible. Um, and then, uh, yeah, faith in, in Jesus, like, um, I definitely wouldn't be where I'm at without my relationship with Jesus. Like, it's not about religion. It's not about being perfect. It's not about being anything. It's, it's, uh, it's about a relationship with him. And, um, is not, I pretty much every day of my life, I, I get up, um, when I'm home, I, I get up before the kids, uh, on the road, I get up and I read my Bible and spend time with him. And, um, he's my favorite person in the world. Um, a mm. life without him doesn't make sense. Um, um, the, the peace that, that I have had over the years yeah. at times, struggle times where I'm supposed to be sad. I'm supposed to be down. I'm supposed to be disappointed and I'm not. And the Bible talks about having hope in Jesus and how in Romans, the Romans, it talks about, um, about being about patient or being persevering about persevering and that persevering produces character. And then that character produces hope and the hope in Jesus doesn't disappoint. And there's always been that hope and that confidence that there's a plan and a, a real, and it's a, a good plan because the Bible says that, that God is good and, and that God is love. And you have that, this peace in your heart that the Bible talks about a peace that surpasses understanding. And I've seen that in my life over and over and over when the world is like, you're supposed to be sad. You're supposed to be upset. And I'm not, and I've got a peace and I've got a perseverance and I've got a patience that's deep and deep in your heart to keep pushing forward, keep moving. And that's only through Jesus. And it's just been amazing. Like I said, it's not about religion. It's about a relationship and yeah. walking with him is the greatest thing that I, I will ever do in my life. Um, I love him with all my heart. Man, it's awesome. It sounds to me like you described, you know, your, your wife as a rock and a movable object. And, you know, it sounds like you got two of them, you know, yeah. this is the rock as well. Right. And, um, exactly right. Firm foundation and in your life. And it's awesome. And thanks for sharing that, you know, testimony. Um, you know, whether people are believers or not, it's a, it's a big part of your life and, and I know it is. And so it's nice to hear you, you chat about that. Now I have one final question, which I ask everyone who comes on the podcast and it is, if you could be any sports person past or present for one day and live a life in the day of some other sports person, who would it be? Four. Well, that's a tough question. <laughs> I don't think I need to up on this one. No. Um, I mean, my first thought was, my first thought was Jack Nicholas. Um. Yeah, my yeah, I mean, my, yeah, my first thought was Jack Nicholas. Um. Yeah, I'd say yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean most biggest major winner um, where he thought around a golf course 
um, be pretty interesting to get inside his head and know exactly what he was thinking about that. Yeah. And he had six, and he had six kids, so well, he knows go. how to balance, trying to figure out how to be the greatest player to play them and balance kids. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that would was first you, thought. Would you, live, would you choose to, like, if you could choose one day of Jack's life, would it be the day he won his last Masters? No, I'd probably say somewhere in his prime. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because you couldn't see where the ball went on 16. So I want to be able to see a bit better than that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, somewhere, in his, somewhere in his prime, just to, just to see where he, like, Again, like everyone talked in mind, like how great his mind was around a golf course. Um, yeah. So really, just to see how he thought and stuff like that would be pretty, pretty unique. You know, was my yeah, first thought. Yeah, yeah. My second thought was like Ty or like uh, Gary Junior or Senior. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. It cut it, it cut out there a little bit, but you said Gary Ablett oh, Junior or Senior that. for the, for the listeners who who didn't pick up what yeah. you said there, but you know that's, yeah, go uh, cats. Yeah, that's the Geelong boy, mate. It's a big, mate. It's a big week on, this week in the AFL. I don't know if you know who you're playing against, but um, the Cats are up against my mighty Lions. So yeah, we, down it. Both down lost it, in down round it. one. So yeah, but they no, do, Paddy, down at the carry. for you boys. I oh, did. He rubbed out. Yeah, he got rubbed out for three weeks. So he's uh, three weeks for that bump. That's yeah. not right. <laughs> That's uh, not right. Well, I would have been. I would have been okay if it was just one. Like one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't bad. I mean, yeah. He bumped it. They had a clash of heads. So. Yeah, that's the tough part about it, isn't it? And I think that's just, I guess, the stance that you know, um, all the codes down here in Australia. Yeah. Are, 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 making a big stance on the concussion stuff and yeah it's, um, it's a huge it's, movement i suppose is for want of a better term but yeah mate but it's on it's on it and, is uh, mate go the lines go cats yeah <laughs> <laughs> absolutely well mate thanks so much for spending some time in your morning um as we yeah. know you've got things to do thanks today in, in in prep for um for uh, an amazing week. I hope you have a great week. Uh, we'll certainly be looking on uh, with interest from afar and supporting you as always, mate. I, I, I do it every time you play. And um, yeah, I just wish you all the very best this week. And, and I hope that um, this is the start of uh, the chase to VJ Singh's 40 to 50. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sequence. Why not? So, yeah, why not, mate? That's so true. Go out there and hit plenty of fairways and give yourself lots of looks at um, getting the, the magic putter going, mate, and um, believe in yourself, and, and uh, I know you'll get it done. So thanks so much for spending the time yeah. with me. Love to love to you and your family, mate. And, um, Likewise. Thanks, Matty. Wish you all the very best, buddy, and it's been awesome to catch up, and thanks for being guest number one on season two of The Hard Yards. Number one.